0: Let's pray. Oh God, our sovereign Lord, by your Holy Spirit, let our ears hear. Let our hands reach out. Let our feet move. Let our voices speak to your message. In Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, in uh, April, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Uh, announced the beginning of a zero-tolerance policy uh, for people crossing the southern border illegally. And from May 5th to June 9th, 2,235 families were detained and 2,206 adults were referred for prosecution. Their children, uh, 2,342 of them, were then declared unaccompanied minors turned over to the Department of Health and Human Services for care and relocation. The new enforcement policy was intended as a deterrent because previously adults were less likely to be detained if they brought their kids with them. So instead of releasing adults with an ankle monitor or uh, re- you know, let it releasing them, on making them post-bond, uh, they were incarcerated, while, put in held in jail while they were awaiting hearing. And as some of you remember, a week and a half ago, uh, Jeff Sessions gave a press conference defending his policy. In it, he referenced uh, the Bible, Romans 13. Did any of you see anything about that or hear about it? A number of you did. Uh, and I thought, well, that's really cool. You know, somebody in, in government is, is ref- referencing the Bible. And I know some of you are here today thinking, oh, no, I'm getting really nervous. You know, Pastor Steve's going to go political on me. And, uh, um, and you know, I was going to say that, uh, you know, some of you, if you, if you kind of feel like you're more right-leaning, you may feel like I'm a little left of you. If you're left-leaning, you may feel like I'm more right of you. And I'm not really trying to be either one. I'm just trying to lean in on Jesus, and sometimes those things overlap. But anyway, so for full disclosure, I want to uh, share with you a few of my convictions that I bring into this. Uh, Some of them might even seem a little contradictory to you, but here goes. First, I believe every government has the right to secure its borders. And we find out that that's kind of hard to do. It's difficult and it's costly, but every government has the right to secure its borders. Secondly, and if my family lived in a country where man, our lives were threatened by gangs and drug cartels and, and extreme poverty, and, and I, might, I might attempt to take my family and move to the U.S. illegally if I felt it necessary, if I felt like there's only one chance of hope. I'd put my family's survival above the law third if you entered if you enter this country illegally we welcome you to this church we're all god's children we're all sinners we're seeking grace Uh, entering this country illegally is a misdemeanor so is bringing fireworks from missouri to nebraska If you're here illegally, I will not judge you. Jesus said uh, that if I try to take the speck out of someone else's eye, that's a problem because there's a log in my own eye. Fourth, I do not support policies that unnecessarily separate families. You know, I said a few times during the previous administration that I do not support a deportation policy that separates families. And now I do not support a detention policy that needlessly separates families. And as we know, uh, last week, President Trump signed an executive order that no longer automatically separates families detained at the border. Now, U.S. Attorney Jeff Sessions is a United Methodist. Did you know that? From Mobile, Alabama. And he now worships at a United Methodist Church In Arlington Virginia and whether you agree with him or not no matter where you are politically he is our brother in Christ and a fellow United Methodist and and I appreciate the dilemma that that he faces you know immigration has been a long-standing issue for our country and I don't see any easy answers do you and I don't see any quick fixes And only Congress can change our immigration laws. And so far, they've been unwilling and unable to do so. Before the president's uh, executive order, uh, Jeff Sessions defended the administration's policy. And here's what he said. He said, I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his purposes and I thought well you know he, he makes a good point there and I, I'm glad he's, he's reading the Bible um, the question for us we have to kind of think through is is ha- how is that passage applied and how do we apply it appropriately and maybe you're not very familiar with that passage Becky just read for us a little bit ago so we're going to take a closer look today So please open your Bible to Romans chapter 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, it is on page 1138. And I encourage all of you to be daily Bible readers. You know, if you just took five minutes a day and read one chapter of the Bible, and then just took a few extra minutes to kind of go back and reflect on what you have just read, I believe you would find it life-changing. And of course, you say, well, the Bible's so hard to understand. Yeah, it is. The Bible is not an easy book, and that's why we need each other. The Bible is best inter- understood and interpreted in community. And that's why we have our, our, our faith groups, our small groups. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then I would just say, take that pew Bible home. You can have it. You can keep it and read it at home. Now, in verse 1, chapter 13, Paul begins with this instruction. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Boom! There it is. Be subject to the governing authorities. Just so you know, Paul is writing to people. He's not met them yet. They're, they're Christians living in, in the Rome area of Rome. Paul was actually a citizen by birth of Rome, Uh, But he's not writing from that perspective. He's not writing as a citizen of Rome. He's writing as a follower of Jesus, as a citizen of God's kingdom. And a few years before this uh, was when, you know, Paul had his big kind of turning point experience. He was walking on this road toward Damascus, and this bright light hit him and knocked him down. And and this voice came speaking to him from the light saying, I am Jesus and so Paul knows that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth and, and someday Jesus is going to return and he's going to uh, come and the dead will rise from their graves and God will judge all people. And you know, some of the Christians thought, "Yay! if, if Jesus is, if he, that's who he is and if he's, he's on the throne of heaven seated at the right hand of the Father, then why should I bother listening to the Roman Emperor? And his minions, they have no authority over me. I don't have to answer to them. And Paul says, whoa, back up. You've gone too far. Sure, yeah, Caesar's not the ruler of the world. He's not divine. He's not superhuman. He's just a man, and one day he's going to have to answer to God for the way he governs. Let's look at the next, verse in, 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 next sentence in verse 1. Now, that may sound like a stamp of approval upon the Roman emperor, but the way I look at it, it's really more of a demotion because he's only in office because God allows it. Paul says, The authorities that exist, exist have been established by God. What's Paul's point? Here's what I think. God wants us to have order, not anarchy. God wants good government. God wants us to have laws. God wants us to have justice. Imagine what what life would be like. What what would our lives be like without any government? I mean, you think gangs are a problem now? Without government, our, our city would just be ruled by mobsters. God wants order, not anarchy. When God created humans, the Bible says that we were created in God's image. And part of what that means is that we are assigned to govern on God's behalf. That's our job, to create order in the world. And that also means that our leaders are responsible for how well they govern. They're responsible to God about, for the laws that they make and how they enforce those laws and how they serve the public good. And we are also responsible For serving the public good. And that takes us to verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So, let's say you break the law by shoplifting. You know, you you, you try on a pair of shoes at the shoe store and decide, I'm just walking out with them. Not paying, I'm just walking out. And uh, you, you, when you do that, you are not only breaking one of the commandments, "You shall not steal," but you are rebelling against the governing authority that God has established. And when, then, when you are arrested and tried and convicted and sentenced, you are bringing judgment on yourself for what you have done. You are getting the wrath of God secondhand through the governing authorities. Now, don't get me wrong. Romans 13 isn't saying that God picks who our leaders are. God, you know, doesn't decide who's going to be our mayor or city council or governor or president or senator. Um, it, it's saying that God wants us to have governing people and governing offices. And, the norm, and under normal circumstances, we are obliged to obey the laws. I knew a guy one time who, who decided that because he was a Christian, that, you know, government didn't have anything on him, and he just quit paying his income taxes. Didn't even file for years. I think they may have eventually caught up with him, but for a long time, you know, he was just sort of under the radar of the IRS. And Remember what Jesus said about taxes? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And here, Paul reinforces that. He said, since, since governing is overall a good, worthy thing, then it's worthy of our support. Can you drop down to verse 6 with me? Verse 6. It says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are who? God's servants who give their time, to, full time to governing. So, if you are a Christ follower, pay your taxes. Isn't that what it's saying? Pay your taxes. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with the amount. You can think it's too much. But even imperfect government is worthy of our support. That's what it's saying, right? Sometimes it helps to be reminded that the books in the Bible uh, didn't come, weren't originally written with chapter and verse numbers in them. Did you know that? They were, they were added later. Uh, and, and so uh, the end of chapter 12 isn't really the previous chapter it's just the previous paragraph right and so if you look at that with me it's just in the pew Bible it's just at the top of the page there Um, it says that uh, okay we could start at verse 14 but let's go down verse 19 of chapter 12 it says do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath don't take revenge means don't take the law into your own hands Don't make yourself judge, jury, and jailer. You know, here are a few reasons why I think that uh, Jesus' followers should abandon revenge, give up revenge. First, Jesus told us to love our enemies, right? So revenge would obviously be the opposite of that. Secondly, payback is up to God. You look at the rest of verse 19. It says, For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, don't you do it. Third, it's the government's job to hold trials and issue sentences. Not not up to me. Fourth, if we all start taking revenge, what do we have? Chaos. Let's say that you are the owner of the shoe store that got shoplifted. And you know who did it. You just couldn't catch them. But you figured out where they live. And you decide you're going to take the law into your own hands. And you're going to get them back. And you're going to key their car and slash their tires. Ha! I got them. You know, vigilanteism. Where does that leave us? Anarchy? We're supposed to leave justice up to God, either in this life, through the governing authorities, or in the next life on the day of judgment. Our job, with God's help, is to love our enemies and pray for those who do harm to us. You know, Romans 12, 21, I think is one of the great verses of the Bible. And if you're looking for a Bible verse to take home and think about throughout the week, this is is powerful. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's say it together, shall we? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our job. Let the governing authorities take care of justice, and if they get it wrong, well, then it's up to God to get it right in the end. Our job is to let go of revenge and overcome evil by loving our enemies. So, we're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying our best to, to, to listen to him and, and, and live life his way. And we know that we need earthly authority because that's, God wants us to live in order and not anarchy. But that doesn't mean our laws are perfect doesn't mean our justice system gets it right all the time. Of course, that's why our laws are always changing, right? Because we're continually trying to make it a little better. Uh, And the last thing that Paul wants to do is defend every Roman law and every Roman lawmaker. He knows that some laws are unfair and some bureaucrats take bribes and some senators play favorites and some emperors persecute innocent people. Early Christian tradition says that Paul himself was executed beheaded in Rome under Emperor Nero in 68 AD so what do we do what do we do with bad laws bad leaders in the Bible In the 6th century B.C., uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar commissioned the making of a 90-foot image of gold. That's pretty big, 90 feet. And he announced that whenever you hear, imagine you could see it all over the city, right? And he announced that whenever you hear the, the band strike up the music, everybody has to bow down and worship the golden image. Well, there were Jews living in Babylon, at that time, exiles from Jerusalem. And a group of astrologers, they didn't like those Jews. So they talked the king into uh, making a decree that anyone who refused to bow down to the uh, image of gold would be burned alive. See, this was their scheme to get rid of three of the king's Jewish appointees because those astrologers knew that these guys will never bow down. And when the king heard that these three Jews would not bow and worship his golden image, he was furious. He threatened to throw them into the fire and burn them alive. But as a matter of faith and conscience, these three men refused to obey the king. They refused to obey the law. They were thrown into the fire. Similar thing happened to Daniel. Daniel. Uh, in in the Bible. A a Persian king established a law saying that no one could pray to anyone but him for 30 days on penalty of being uh, fed to the lions. But in the privacy of his room, Daniel got on his knees and quietly disobeyed that command. Now, Everything would have been okay, except Daniel's enemies burst into his room and caught him on his knees praying to God. As a matter of faith and conscience, Daniel refused to obey that law and was thrown to the lions. After Jesus' resurrection, his disciples were brought in before the authorities who commanded them to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. We don't want to hear you Anything about, say anything about him again. What did they say? Here it is. Here's, here's their reply. We must obey God rather than human beings. Let's say it together, shall we? We must obey God rather than human beings. You know, that's what Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement was all about. We must obey God rather than human beings. In 1963, a state court ruled that Martin Luther King could not organize and hold a demonstration in Birmingham, Alabama. What did they do? They held the demonstration anyway. thousand people marched in downtown uh, Birmingham for a peaceful protest. King was arrested and spent a week in jail before being released on bond. It was there that Martin Luther King wrote his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. Here's a short segment. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws, he says. One has not only a legal but moral responsibility to obey just laws, Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Whoa. You know, I'm sure it would never happen, but I would love the opportunity to just sit down with Jeff Sessions. I, you know, I'm so glad you, you, you quoted Scripture, you brought that into the public dialogue. I'd like to visit with you more about your perspective on it. Maybe I would understand his, his, his uh, use of that better. And, and I would love to have the opportunity to share with him my, my take on that. And, and maybe we would both be enriched by that kind of conversation. But my, my opinion would be that, that while he does, you know, Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 have some good things to say, they cannot be used to give moral legitimacy to any law or policy. So here's where I'm heading. As followers of Jesus, we hold to a higher law than the law of the land. Whoa! Have you thought about that? Let's say it together, shall we, if you're brave enough? (laughs) As followers of Jesus, we hold to a higher law than the law of the land. So, if that's what we say, then we respectfully obey human laws when conscience tells us they're in harmony with God's justice. We respectfully disobey uh, human laws when conscience tells us they're in conflict with God's justice. By the way, did you see that shortly after Jeff Sessions' comment, White House Press Secretary uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders backed him up. She said, it is very biblical to enforce the law. And I would say, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the role of government. God wants order, not anarchy. But that doesn't mean that every law is right. It doesn't mean that every method of enforcing the law is right. As followers of Jesus, we hold to a higher law than the law of the land. And it's this belief, it's it's this conviction of a higher law that led to the founding of this nation. Do you know that? I mean, read, read the Declaration of Independence. And so let's play out a hypothetical, okay? Let's say that government issues a regulation that everyone uh, who comes to our church pantry uh, has to show proof that they are legal residents. Now, they have to show proof that they have a residence now, just an address and a couple of things to show this is where I live, in order to receive food USDA food that we get from the food bank. Um, but they don't have to show that they are U.S. citizens or legal residents. Okay? But let's say that the, the government passes a policy that you know they can't get USDA food unless they show they are legal residents. Well personally I, would, I, I wouldn't like that policy too much but I would hope we'd, we would try to work with it. Okay? We would give the same amount of food to to those who don't show proof of legal residency Uh, It just wouldn't be USDA food. okay? But then, let's say, the government issues a policy that everyone coming to our church's pantry has to show proof of legal residence to receive anything from us. What if the government says we can't give any food to people unless they prove they're legal? Now what do we do? Well, It would be our church council's decision to make, first of all. I I would want to listen to all points of view. You know, let's really weigh this, let's pray through it, let's take our time. But personally, I would favor giving food to illegal residents, even if it means breaking the law. I'd be willing to disobey that law. But if I'm willing to do that, then I have to be willing to go to jail for it. Right? And I'm willing because as followers of Jesus, we hold to a higher law than the law of the land. And for us, that higher law always begins and ends with love. So, I'm going to close my message today. If you still have your Bibles open, come to Romans 13, verses 8, 9, and 10. And I I encourage you to to follow along with that because this is really important to the whole discussion. Okay? Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in the one this one command Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, um, we are here from really probably a a wide range of political uh, beliefs and and convictions. And, Lord, uh, we want to be the kind of church that we can just wrap our arms around each other and say that we are all one in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you that this is your table. Jesus, this is your meal, and you unite us in this. And we want to be a model for the world of that kind of unity and so lord we we come humbly thankfully uh, knowing that we are all sinners seeking grace and you offer it freely and uh lord we pray that you will bless our country and especially the difficult decisions that we have before us about our borders and about immigration and and uh Lord, we pray that the the light of Christ would shine through us. We pray in his name. Amen.